From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lodge. Practical Torah means applying the Torah's ancient teachings to our daily lives. This is its ultimate practicality. The Torah has guided the Jewish people for thousands of years. In fact, it is hard to imagine a Jewish people surviving without it. Certainly, the Jews who have cast it aside have few, if any, Jewish descendants. This publication is a collection of comments, explanations, or stories for each of the weekly Torah readings. The common thread running through them is that the Torah is speaking not only of the historical perspective, indeed it is also a history book, but, even more importantly, it is also speaking about each of us today. This timelessness is its true value. It is my prayer that this book will encourage you to apply the practical teachings of the Torah and live the spiritual life that is your true inheritance. When you find it, you will find your path joyful and your life satisfying. Indeed, you will become rich with the most precious things that life has to offer. The Book of Numbers, Sefer Bamidbar Numbers 1, Bamidbar why are you a Jew? This week's portion of the Torah begins the book of Numbers, Bamidbar. In Hebrew, it's called the Book of the Wilderness and describes the travels of the Jewish people before coming into the land of Israel. The portion begins with Hashem commanding Moshe to take a census of the children of Israel. Who in particular was Moshe to count? What made and makes today a person a Jew? All religions of the world, except Judaism, are based on one thing only, belief. Whatever religion a person believes in, that is what he is. However, there is no such thing as a Christian person or a Buddhist person. These are just people who believe in Christianity or Buddhism. Basically, a person can change his religion any time he chooses. Today he can be a Buddhist, tomorrow a Christian, and the next day a Muslim, without any trouble whatsoever. But Jews are not members of a religion. We are a people. No one is a Jew because of his or her beliefs, nor because he shares Jewish values, nor any other characteristic other than one simple requirement, that that person's mother is a Jew. If the mother is Jewish, then her children are Jewish. This is not a rabbinical ordinance enacted somewhere in our past, but rather its source can be traced all the way back to the very roots of the Jewish people. Abram and his wife Sarah could not have a child. Sarah, thinking to become an adoptive mother, told Abram to father a child with her slave, Hagar. The child was named Ishmael. Later, a great miracle came, and Sarah and Abram had a son. His name is Yitzchak. Yitzchak and his descendants are the Jewish people, while Ishmael and his descendants became the Arab peoples. Obviously, if Jewish lineage was determined by the father, both of these boys would have been Jews, but they were not. Also, if Jewish lineage was determined by maintaining certain beliefs, then certainly Abram's servants would have been Jews since they were taught by him and therefore shared the same values, but they were not Jews. 
The actual law that the Jewish mother produces the Jewish child is not traced to this source, but rather to a later source, when Hashem warned Moshe not to make a covenant with the nations unless, as it says, you take their daughters for your sons, and they, the daughters, will stray after their gods and entice your sons to stray after their gods. Although the Jewish people follow the mother's line, the child's particular tribe and tradition follow the father's. This law is found in this week's portion of the Torah, where it says, The children of Israel shall encamp, each man according to the insignias of his father's household. This law will again be literally enacted when the final redemption comes, and each of us will inherit a share in the land of Israel that was originally allocated to our father's tribe. Today, this teaching is applicable as each of us follows our father's, which was also his father's, tradition. A boy born into an Ashkenazi family follows the Ashkenazi traditions, while the Sephardi boys follow the Sephardi traditions, and this is true with all of the various traditions. When a woman marries, she assumes the customs of her husband. All of our ancient traditions are beautiful, and we should not stray from them. Reincarnation. For a very good reason, each of us was born into our particular tradition. The book, the Mishnah Brewer, on the section of Mencha, the afternoon prayers of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, discusses a man who refuses to repent. This is the time of the year when the Jewish people are striving to repent. But this man says, I have been sinning all of my life and I'm used to it, and I'm not going to repent. Worst comes to worst, he says, God will come and kill me. The commentator there, the Berhetiv, comments on this, saying, No, this man will have to repent, or he will have to come back to this world again and again until he does repent. This example shows that Jewish law, and not only the Kabbalah and Hasidus, teaches reincarnation. This also shows that what a person does or does not do will determine what he's going to be in his next lifetime. This also means that who we are now was determined by what we did or did not do in our previous lifetimes. We, in effect, choose our mothers and our fathers by our own actions. Not only did we choose to be Jews, but we also chose which tribe and traditions would best fit the job each of us has come here to do. Obviously, we should not turn from these qualities, but rather lift them, apply them, and cherish them in order to fulfill our purpose in having come into this world. Enjoy yourself. It's what you are. Finding your individual purpose. We see that not only did we choose which tribe and traditions would best suit the job we came to do, but we chose the actual job too. We have come into this world with individual and unique purposes. In order to succeed, we must accomplish these assigned tasks or else we'll have to come back to do them. Remember, we assign these tasks to ourselves. We did this by having done certain things or by having failed to do certain things in our previous lifetimes. These actions or inactions have resulted in our coming into this world now. Obviously, the objective is to fulfill our task and leave this world after a successful journey. But how do we discover our assigned tasks? 
Imagine that you go to work and the boss tells you that he wants you to cut down a tree. Then he hands you a pencil to do it with. But this is the wrong tool for the job, you would complain. You're right, he agrees and says, instead, I want you to write a book, and here's a saw to write it with. Again, you would complain that he has given you the wrong tool, and that there is no way that you can write a book with a saw. From this story, you can learn what tasks you have come to do. You can tell what jobs you have been sent to do by looking at the tools that you have been given to do them with. Each of us has certain qualities, gifts that either we brought with us or have developed over the course of our lives. Look and see what it is that you are good at. What do you do better or more than your peers? If everyone is going to the beach, but you prefer to visit the sick, this points out one of the unique things that your soul urges you to do. Also, see what good things others like to do, but that you do not. This, too, is something you came to work out. Take your uniqueness and coordinate that with your overall spiritual and physical characteristics, and you will succeed in becoming the best possible you. Then you will return to the place from where you came with a huge smile on your spiritual face. The many are one. When Moshe was told to count the assembly of Israel... He came up with the number 603,550. This was just the men from the age of 20 and older. So including the women and children, we estimate that there must have been about 3 million Jews following Hashem through the wilderness. This gives rise to an interesting question about the mystical aspects of life. Many times a day we make blessings on the food we eat and then again after we finish eating. One of the after-blessings ends with the words, Baruch Che HaOlamim. Although most observant Jews make this blessing many times a day, rare is the one who can translate it. Some common mistranslations include, Blessed is he who gives life forever, or, Blessed is the life that lives forever, or, Blessed is he who gives life to the universe, and so on. The proper translation is, Blessed is the life of all the worlds. From the normal human perspective, we see that there is one world and many lives. This blessing turns that idea upside down. The blessing says that there are many worlds, for instance this world and the world to come, the ten emanations, the sephirot are also called worlds, the upper worlds and such. But this blessing states that in all these worlds, there's only one life. How can this be? That there are many worlds is understandable, but how can it be that there is only one life? Picture a room with no doors or windows and a roof that is missing. The room is standing in open field on a bright day. Now place a solid roof on the room and stand inside the room. What do you see? Darkness. Cut four holes in the roof one shaped like a circle, one like a square, one like a triangle, and one like a Jewish star. Now standing in the room, what do you see? You see the sunlight streaming in the room through these four holes. You see these four shapes in the ceilings and on the floor, and if there's even a tiny bit of dust in the air, you'll see four columns of light, each a different shape. Now with your right hand, point to the square light, 
and with your left hand, point to the circle light. Did you say two, the square light and the circular light? If you did, you were wrong. There's only one light in the room. The sunlight is one. The beams are four. Now place another roof a few feet above that roof and cut 600,000 holes in it. Make each hole a different shape and place a piece of thin cellophane over each hole. Make each piece of cellophane a different color. Now standing under that second roof, how many lights do you see? You see 600,000 beams, each a different shape and each a different color, but still there's only one light. This is how one life fills all. The one life fills each beam according to that beam's unique requirements. The Jews, the Gentiles, the animals, and the plants. Actually, there's a soul in all things, even in the inanimate. Now, what is the practical application of this information? We should love and respect each other because, in truth, we share one life. And what is the nature of this one life? It is the Holy One, blessed be He, the one and only life in all the worlds. Baruch Chei HaOlamim. There is one dot com.